All right, howlers, let's get howling. First warning, this podcast contains adult content. There will be some bloody damn cursing. Don't be a pixie. Second warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the Red Rising universe. No Dark Age spoilers, though. Nope. No Dark Age spoilers. Uh, but everything else is fair game. Don't forget to follow us. Instagram, Twitter, Etsy, Facebook, email, howlerpod at gmail.com. Also check out our brand new website, howlerpod.com. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I made that. <laughs> and then um, also rate and review five stars only. Or else I'm going to whisper Dark Age spoilers in your dreams at night. Wow. And now, Howlerpod. Ow- Guess what, Howlers? This is a very special episode because we are about to play for you our Pierce Brown interview. Uh, yes, we met Pierce in Denver at the Tattered Covered Bookstore. I gave store. him a very aggressive hug. <laughs> I hope he enjoyed it. <laughs> Pretty sure we weirded him out, but he had fun. I, think. I had fun. I had a lot of fun. I told him his dad was hot in front of his mom, and then I said, I'm sorry to his mom. <laughs> So and it was probably the second thing that you said to him after saying hi. I said Pierce hi, Brown. you're Pierce Brown. Your dad is hot. <laughs> I'm sorry to the mom. It was a family affair. So yeah, it was a really fun interview. Pierce is uh, just as cool and amazing as you would expect. Probably even cooler. Exactly. You probably can't even imagine how cool he is. It was great. Uh, there are some people that we uh, really want to thank that helped us uh, get this set up. And allowed us to do it. So uh, first is Blair Brown, Pierce's sister with the Sons of Aries. She's amazing getting it set up. She was an amazing person that we hung out. She was there for the podcast. I want to be her best friend. And I probably (laughs) came on pretty strong. I was like, hey, do you want to hang out like right now? (laughs) She was like, oh, I'm going out of town. I was like, yeah, but do you want to cancel your trip and hang out with me? She's really fucking cool. She's great. Uh, we want to thank everybody at the Tattered Covered Bookstore. They were so nice. Got us all hooked up with a nice little room to interview Pearson. We had a green room that was actually green. <laughs> I felt like I was in a band. It had a little sign and everything. Yeah. It was great. VIP. And then we want to thank uh, Random House and Delray Publishing for also helping us get it set up. Our producer, John, who helped us uh, with audio and, and photos. photos and just generally talking to Pierce. Yeah, he uh, kept us grounded. <laughs> <laughs> and then, obviously, the man himself, Pierce. This was really awesome and uh, uh, just an amazing treat for Aaron and I. Uh, he's just, like I said, coolest dude ever. I'm in love. Yep. I uh, really hope you enjoy this interview. Let's play it. Let's go ahead. Hello, Howlers. Welcome to Howler Pod, the one and only podcast for all things Red Rising for every episode, we dive deep to break down, celebrate, and discuss all aspects of the fantastic Red Rising saga by Howler number one, Pierce Brown. Ooh-ooh. I'm your host, Ben Reinert, co-hosting today, as always, the amazing Aaron Ayers. Hello, Howlers. Guess what? 
we have a very special guest. I'm not going to bury the lead. It's Pierce motherfucking Brown. Hi, guys. <laughs> hey, Pierce. How y'all doing? Good. You know, just hanging out in the sub-basement of the Tattered Cover. It's a We're very in a small room. A green room. Y'all survived a uh, mid-travel <laughs> flat tire. We did. It's fantastic. I've survived airplane after airplane and somehow the coughing child next to me. And now we're here and cozy. All right. So let's load up this star shell and shoot straight into our Pierce Brown interview. That's so cheesy and awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Normally we say, we hope we don't shit our suits, but I'm pretty sure I already did oh so. how the rule 19 not allowed to make fun of someone shit in their suits and ben is sitting here in a suit obviously so <laughs> always we'll clean it up later all right obviously we've caught you on your tour fans are crazier than ever you've got a couple weirdos in kansas making a podcast about you that's me and your books mm. uh in past mm. interviews we've talked you've we've heard you talk about the increasing fan presence around these books mm -hmm. how's the tour this year different than tours in years past um, well, for instance, there's more inside jokes, you know, you build a rapport. I think that the, here's the tip of the iceberg, uh, at the Seattle uh, signing, which we do in a church now, and now I'm ordained minister, and the, <laughs> and the couple that I've married are still married, so I think I have the power of God within me. That's so amazing. I'm thinking the, chur the Church of Darrow might have to happen. So anyway, I'm fresh off that hubris, but when I was signing the books, people kept bringing locks of golden hair and dropping it in front of me, and it was oh. wound with bones. Um, because they were saying, here is the uh, scalp of the peerless guard. Jeez. So, you know, we have more dedication, I think, <laughs> yes. I think. And I'm hoping that they really did find some blonde guy and just shear his locks. <laughs> <laughs> it's somewhere in Seattle Alleyway, there was a poor, genetically blessed tall man <laughs> bleeding to death from head wounds from a psychotic little pack. That is incredible. That's what we want to see from our... So, you know, I think that Our that little howlers. anecdote sums up this experience. <laughs> yeah, the howlers are creative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think about the gold hair. I'm going to have to go buy some. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you don't buy hair. Scalp oh, Does a peerless scar <laughs> buy a scar? No, you earn a scar. You earn a scalp. I'm sorry, I will scalp someone. Profane. I promise. Profane. <laughs> All right, I want evidence. Videotape it. All right. And some of this intensity from the fans could be caused from not only the amazing books, but also we had a little bit of a wait before Dark Age. Sure. And we're going to give you the platform here now to blame the entire wait on EO the dog. <laughs> I would never blame you anything. Yeah. <laughs> My rugs smell like pee, and I blame myself. <laughs> I'm like, EO, you are perfect. You wrong. No, this book took a long time, and I, I thank the fans for bearing with me for two delays i know that uh random house almost had a conniption when i did the <laughs> second one i'm like y'all don't want to see what the book looks like currently because i write in the povs independently and mm -hmm. then piece them all together so it's this kind of bedlam jigsaw type thing it's crazy and so you never know how the chronology passes through you never know how what characters even know between the scenes because there's a good deal of ignorance because you're in the middle of a war so a lot of it was just doing juggling the multiple povs and trying to make the best book in the series which i've done you so have this yeah. is the best book in the series and Sounds if you good. disagree, yeah, it's okay. Fuck you. I'm right. <laughs> is it mostly just juggling at that point? Or are you still writing? Is still it writing. So still writing. So still juggling. murdering Yeah, I, I basically till the end of the book stayed up for three days, at least three days wow. straight. Like, I just literally didn't go to bed. I couldn't because I had to finish it all in time. Nice. But, I, but the funny thing is, I thought I was all ready to do it. And then I saw that I had gaps and I had to write four chapters in three days. Holy shit. And so I was like, I wrote like, I think, 70 pages in three days trying to finish it up because the deadline was hard that yeah. time. Because you can't push a book three times unless, well, we'll still do <coughs> <it>. <laughs> you're George R. R. 
Hey, but you know, say what you want about the man. I wouldn't be writing if he didn't push uh, uh, Dance of Dragons. That's true. Because I literally started writing during that gap. <laughs> yeah. You know, 2000 and what, 10 is when, or sorry, 2006 is when I started writing. Oh, that's amazing. Pre-or- yeah, pre-ordered Dance of Dragons. And then when Dance of Dragons came out in 2010 or 11 or whatever, three copies showed up because I ordered it three times over the next four <laughs> years or five years, and I didn't know. Yeah, and then I also bought a copy, so I have four copies. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> At least you didn't write in the back of the book, this is going to be out next year like George did. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, I try not to overpromise. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we know that Mustang is obviously a new point of view yeah. in Dark Age. And she's super bae, and I love her. We love Mustang. She's the best. She is our, like one of our favorite characters. How cool are her little, like, little quips? <laughs> so, I yeah. love how just like haughty she is and how she knows she's the smartest person. <laughs> yeah, she's haughty, but not condescending at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I'm in love with her. Yeah, like, I, I like lo- to I pretend I am Mustang. I love her dialogue with Holiday, for instance. Oh, it's yeah. just oh, so yeah. like, she's just so sharp. She's amazing. I wrote it so that maybe he's bragging. So never mind. <laughs> I find you can her brag. Very, I find her very fun. It's all fans here. Well, yeah, cool. we wanted to ask you about that. Like, what was it like creating her voice and like? Well, it was interesting experience? because um, all we've ever seen is a projection of Mustang right. because it's only through Darrow's eyes, right? And who is less reliable than someone that loves someone else? And I think that the difficulty and the hesitation I had initially for doing Mustang was how could I do her justice? Because she's a cipher. She's an enigma. She's never been totally explained. And also, like a lot of my friends, my best friend doesn't trust her. He says, I still don't trust. (laughs) She's shady, man. (laughs) She's shady. She's up no good. Is she the jackal? Really? Like, you know, is is this all her plan so she can kill Darrow and then take over the society? You know? And he said, I didn't trust her until the book ended. And I was like, oh, I guess she didn't, wasn't up to anything. But uh, for me, tackling Mustang was understanding that there's three different ways to see Mustang. One, our expectations of Mustang. One, another one, Darrow's perspective of Mustang. And then also Mustang's perspective of herself, which is actually not even an accurate representation of who she is. Because we don't see what we really are right. and mm-hmm. what our impact is, right? We're biased, we're insecure, we're trapped within this echo chamber of self-doubt. Mm-hmm. She, on the other hand, is hopefully living, breathing character who has these self-doubts, but she's so haughty, right? Mm-hmm. And has all this wisdom, but is also very, very, very aware of her mortality and the lessons her father taught her. But the lessons her father taught her are somewhat contradictory because he fell in the end to his own, you know, right. disobeying of his own rules. And so Mustang's a complicated character. And once I figured that out, that it's all about perspectives and that I was doing more two things here, screw what Darrow thinks about her. Let's say straight up what she thinks about herself mm-hmm. and then juggling that she kno- the dissonance. She knows that she's smart enough to know that there's a dissonance between what she thinks about herself and how people think about her and is mindful of both. And so it makes her very interesting because Darrow doesn't give a fuck what people think about him. And that right there is part of the problem, but also part of why who he is. Yeah. He's like literally, people want to blame Darrow for shit, but also gold, like Darrow steps in her room, there's only probably a couple people in the world, and Darrow's the only one where everyone takes a step back. Yeah. You know? It's <laughs> amazing. Feels real, right? Yes. Like, I love this stuff. That's why we get so upset. I love, it. I love, <laughs> I love this stuff. Don't worry. I'm, I'm the biggest fan, I swear to God. I'm lucky. This is awesome fun. So speaking of great characters, we also have a great set of unique characters that aren't a uh, main role and um apollonius is a apollonius at valley iraq minotaur motherfucking mars so we're wondering how do you create this murder no idea <laughs> murdery rapey asshole in your head like do you become that character 
while you're writing him? I have no idea. The funny thing about Apollonius is he's like the only guy whose dialogue I've never edited. <laughs> My editor gets it, and she wants to clip like a lot of the kind of the more ostentatious lines yeah. and other characters saying, you know, it's kind of too much or something like that. But for her, for him, his histrionic weirdness, his grandiloquence is all part of the program and it's just so fun to write oh, yeah. because I literally just write I write a bad version of like Paradise Lost dialogue you know <laughs> yeah. and so I just get to rip into like some of the classic stuff his diction's different his sentence structure his syntax he refers to himself in third second and first person <laughs> it's like the guy's a madman yes. but he's just also so dangerous yeah. because he's got that mania behind the eyes yeah. and it's like he's also the guy that talks to you about three inches from your nose you know and you're just like whoa bro why are you up so close and he's just like, do you fear intimacy? It's going to challenge just like yeah. every single thing. And now this isn't a spoiler, but the Apollonius at the feast table scene is one of my favorites in this, even though it's a nice. small part. Awesome. Yeah, I'm we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to his appearance again. Yeah, for sure. So we know that like with like Severo, we've heard you talk about you like listen to a certain type of music, Notorious B.I.G., with Apple, are you like listening to violin concertos? Sometimes. Are you naked? <laughs> How else do you think I write? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes awkward and the UPS man comes to the door. The FedEx guy knows by now. He's like Apple in chapter, right? Yeah, (laughs) UPS is chill because they they always ask, what can Brown do for you? That's your own tagline. Yeah, that's my tagline. So they get it. Uh, No, it's uh, Apollonius is weird. It doesn't really matter when I write him. He just pours out. To be honest, I could write an entire like thing of Apollonius and probably get it done in like maybe one eighth the time because he's just so fucking ridiculous that I don't have to like second guess myself with him because he's insane, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's insane, I can push the bounds of credulity. Mm -hmm. And all Apollonius cares about is being the prime, like the apex hunter of his world, the apex killer. Right, he wants his legend to live on, so that's fun to write because his personal vendettas are good, but he doesn't have much else that he really scheming about. Everyone else has hidden motives, but him, like Victor, are honest about his motives, and that's one of the things that's really interesting about both those characters. They're both some of my favorites to write because they're just so them, mm-hmm. you know. But the, the interactions with Tharsis and the Iron Gold is really fun. Oh yeah, you start meeting him, you're like, no shit, Tactus is messed up. This guy's <laughs> scary. <laughs> And that's his big brother. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because living <laughs> no, up under that guy's shadow, no yeah. wonder. And, the, you know, the fact that he took, he broke Tactus, or, or that he basically uh, shamed Tactus in his inferior violin mm-hmm. skills, even though Tactus loved it more. But Apollonius is simply a grandmaster. So uh, that he beat him by sheer vir- virtuosity yeah. is shocking, right? <laughs> and yes. horrifying. Like, literally, like, oh, you're trying to do what I'm doing? That's a sibling <laughs> thing, right? You got your territory. Yeah. As soon as he stepped into his territory, he made him sure, make sure he was just a shadow of what Apollonius was. So that guy I could talk about all day. Yes. Now, are you the big brother or are you the youngest? I'm the little one. Okay. So you, you are the one my, picking the on sissy everyone. sitting right here, <laughs> typing away. Are you on Sons of Aries? You're on Sons of Aries, aren't you? Yeah, the Grand Master of Sons of Aries. I'm going to get you in that helmet. The Master at Work. All right, so we're you know we're longtime Pierce Brown readers, so we know that when sounds trippy. <laughs> <laughs> we're we know Brown. when reading a Pierce Brown book, like characters are going to die. Yeah, horribly, horribly most of the yeah. time. Yeah, uh, what's that like for you? Well, it's interesting because I'd, the easy answer would be it's fun because it's for shock value, but it's not it. It's literally because I'm trying to strip away plot, plot armor, and it makes the world scarier. Yeah. Like if you've ever read Cormac McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Or have you ever seen, did you see No Country for Old Men? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, imagine that. That's the kind of vibe you're instilling in. It makes you watch every fucking frame of the movie yeah. because you're terrified about what could happen. And the viscerality of the violence and the uh, the amazingly 
clipped and non-romantic endings are really important to that. Now, obviously, I think uh, there's a big romance element, like classic romance, Byronian romance in this. This is a myth. It's not like I'm trying to do No Country for Old Men, hardcore, you know, uh, drug dealers in West Texas. It's not that. Mm -hmm. So it's all about trying to find what is violence in the story. If characters always survive, like Darrow's line is that he literally survives anything. He's a cockroach, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, one, I love Daryl. I want to keep him alive. Two, I want to see him in shit. Three, I want to deal with his guilt complex. Four, I need my story to keep going. <laughs> so he does have a bit of plot armor, but mm -hmm. the rest mm -hmm. of them don't in the same degree. Um, you know, some of them survive really horrible stuff. That's also because this is a story that doesn't take itself too seriously, I hope. And so, you know, if we're taking it super seriously and I was being literary with this, I don't think any of them would survive the first book. Yeah. You know, because the shit they get themselves <laughs> into. You know, what's funny to me is when people say Darrow's plot armor later on, and I'm like, dude, he shot himself at, like, going 30,000 kilometers an hour at another warship right. straight through their bridge viewports, and you're talking about plot armor? Right. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Darrow should have died when he fought. Like, go away. Yeah, then this isn't what, the book for yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, oh, those people, I'm like, do you like Star Wars? And I'm like, okay, let's talk about those inconsistencies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's okay because it's a big movie from your childhood. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's so funny how people just uh, kind of choose the thing that bothers them. Mm -hmm. Like, some people have a problem with the, uh, uh, what was it, the, uh, like, I don't know, just so. Daryl and Severo surviving certain situations, and I'm like, "Do you want them to die? These right, it's boring. Like, yeah, send me their number. I'll I'll talk oh, to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, try, I, try, I try not. To, I never drag anyone on my Twitter. You know how some yeah. authors yeah. like retweet and then drag them. I think that's an abuse of power, yeah. bully pulpit style stuff. So no, you don't get their number. Okay, <laughs> I'll make a fake avatar and a blurry thing, and you can throw knives at it. There you it. go. Yeah. Well, I can confirm you have scared the shit out of your readers. <laughs> And that's good, though, because now people pay attention to battle scenes. Yeah. I mean, the battle For in this sure. one is something else, right? Yes. The whole brutal. part one, I, I was trying to listen at work, and I was just like, I can't even work no, right now. No, yeah, I like got three separate times nothing where I like put it down and walk away. Yeah. Yeah. So intense. I, I was asked if I wrote it on an acid trip, and I'm like, <laughs> if so, that's like a three-month acid trip. That's <laughs> right. forever to write. All right, that's moving good. on. Our next segment is listener questions. Let's do it. What you got, Howlers? So Alina.Fireheart13 asks, how would you rate Darrow in a top 50 Razor Fighters of all time? Oh, I mean, that's so hard. It gets to a point, and this is a question I'm getting a lot more, and it gets to a point where it, they're all so good that if any of them slips, messes up, tries a risky gambit, you know, that they're not supposed to, that their ma Razor Master told them not to try, but they're of equal parity, that they could die, mm -hmm. or they could get lucky. So it gets to a point where you're talking about, like, if Daryl fought Lorne, he'd probably lose in his prime, but he might he might get Lorne. He might get him. You don't know. It depends. If Daryl's fighting in zero gravity, he's a better zero gravity fighter than Lorne. Severo's yeah. the, probably one of the best zero gravity fighters. He's good at inverting gravity. Uh, very good at going back and forth. But then in this new book, there's other guys that are good at that. So the thing is, the not... So there's a laziness to a degree. There was a formality to dueling because they were in a period of peace. There was some house warfare to a degree, but it was all pretty limited, so imagine it like Cold War skirmishes type stuff. Mm -hmm. But there hadn't been a generation raised in the martial arts to the same degree. Right. And so in this book, everyone's better. Yeah. Everyone knows Darrow's stuff. Everyone knows the w that he does the Willow Way. He's not as secretive anymore. It's like you can't surprise people at the curve. They all practice against the curve of the blade. And so Darrow actually has to change up his razor style. Jero has to change because his enemies are expecting his stuff now. So it's a tough question to answer. Um, right now, I mean, Darrow and Aja, probably if they fought in this, like Darrow and Iron Gold and Dark Age fought Aja 
and Morningstar, they probably kill each other. Mm-hmm. Well, they one, almost did. Neither one's well. <laughs> yeah. But remember Golden Sun, the first time Darren Aja, I mean, he's yeah, pretty she, peak. He's a pretty, he's like a, he's like an NFL rookie who's really goddamn good, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then he just gets nerd tossed <laughs> by, <laughs> by like the Al Wilson middle linebacker, like, yes. welcome to the big leagues. Right. He's a concussion, you know? Yeah. I mean, she literally bats his razor away, choke slams him against the top of the spaceship, <laughs> and then throws him on the ground, and he's laying there in the sovereign and has to have, you know, you know who save him. Yeah. And so it's like, that's the skill difference. And it took four of them. Now, granted, four of them, you know, they were wounded in various states, one right. had missing a hand, but it still took four prime fighters in the prime of their age to take down like a 60 year old woman. Cause I, or I think Aja was 60 or 50. Oh, really? Time. Yeah. I but, always pictured her younger. Well, no, she looks younger, mm-hmm. but they're golds. Right. right. You right. Know, Octavia Alun's over 110. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lauren at this point's over that age, too. Mm-hmm. So they're so fighting a 60 year old woman who's fought since she was like, you know, 16, but she has the physical primacy of a 35 year old woman. I love it. She's got it all. <laughs> yeah, Next. but there's a, there's a lot of challengers coming up. I don't want to ruin anything. <laughs> okay. Let's just That's say exciting. the house grimace has some more talent. <laughs> yes. You got yes, a D sure. bullpen. <laughs> all right. Next question's from Howler Forever. If you could give the teenage version of yourself any advice, what would it be? Feel free to be weird. Awesome. Kept trying to fit into social hierarchies. We moved around so much, my sister and I. And I always think it's harder for girls to break in because they don't have the same. Oh, I mean, they have more politics than guys do. Guys, if you show up and you play a sport, you're pretty much good. As long as you don't suck. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and for, for girls, you can be too pretty. You can be not pretty enough. You can be too popular. You can be not popular enough. You can be too threatening. Uh, fitting into every all the different, uh, I would say, social groups or cliques is much more difficult. Mm-hmm. Because guys don't look you as a... It's just different. It's like as soon as you're in a sport team, you you can be picked on in, in, in a nice way. But if you're outside of that as a guy, it's a little tough. But you find you got to find your niche. So for me, I was always balancing around, right? Um, so what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> it was just if you could give you the teenage version of yourself. So the teenage version of myself advice. would just be yeah. feel free to be yourself yeah. because it took me a long time to be confident who I was because I thought it was dorky because I was just trying to be popular, you know? That's the shit thing, trying to find social acceptance. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was reading Game of Thrones in, uh, what was it, 10th uh, grade, and we get made fun of mm-hmm. it for it, you know, but I'd be reading it math class. You know, and my teacher, I'd get in trouble, and I'm like, I knew it even then. Math ain't going to do fucking shit. <laughs> you know, right? Like one time I got yelled at. So I fell asleep because we had 6 o'clock football films, and this is like a pretty serious Friday Night Lights school. Like, it's intense. You know, Matt Stafford, for instance, was our quarterback. Oh, right? So it was this, like, <laughs> legit team. And I moved there from a private school because, uh, well, anyway. So I moved there from a private school, and it's just a big difference. And I was, just, like, kind of overwhelmed by it. And the coach, I woke up to this, I fell asleep because I was reading Game of Thrones to, like, 4.30 because it was Feast for Crows. And he starts screaming at me, Brown or Pierce, like, uh, why are you asleep? And I'm like, I was reading late, sir. And he says, what's more important to you, books or football? <laughs> And there's like 99 guys around me, and I'm pretty sure I was like, books, sir. <laughs> books, sir. That's Sorry. Amazing. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I was reading Star and all the guys are like, douchebag. So. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they're all happy. They're not getting screamed at, you know? <laughs> Terrifying. Man, that guy. Good That's memories. Awesome. Great memories. That's awesome. So our last Tyler question, Red Jill 55 Ah, asks, Red Jill, what's up? <laughs> Have you ever made real life people you strongly disliked into characters in your books and did you kill them? <laughs> no. Your no. sister found that pretty funny. No, I, I I write I, I write but I write books that detach from this world. Because I think there are better worlds than these. 
even though if they're terrible worlds, you know, they're like it's literally my escapism. So no. Okay, you're not killing your enemies. Awesome. That's fine. No, no, I think the best thing I forget do about my enemies is forget them. There you go. Great advice. Next segment, we're gonna do some speed dating with oh, Pierce Brown. Let's do it. Getting to Last know answers, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If there was an Olympics for everyday activities, what activity would you have a good chance at winning a medal in? Everyday activities? Uh-huh. Uh, probably cooking. Oh, wow. Yeah. What are you cooking? Yeah. Be anything. Everything. Anything and I everything. Love it. Are I, you I, cooking I, for us? Uh, <laughs> uh, Italian, <laughs> provincial French cuisine. Wow. I like read Julia Child's cover to cover. It was with Elizabeth Davis, French cooking, um, which is more of a philosophical treatise on the subject. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when well, you come I, home. I stock that not in my uh, kitchen, so you have your kitchen books, but that one's actually on the bookshelf. It's so good. Nice. Yeah. When you come home, are you cooking, or is your mom cooking for you? Um, usually on uh, usually my, my, my mom, <laughs> my, can, mom my mom can cook two esoteric dishes, <laughs> beef Wellington and another one I can't pronounce. Okay. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it's not the dish actually. Oh. So she she can bake very well. My mom's a baker, mm. but she was too busy being a business badass. Yeah. yeah. So uh, my dad cooks very well six dishes. Uh, okay. Yeah. So then, but the problem is now my sister's such a picky eater. I can't cook like what I want to cook when I come home. <laughs> my dad's such a picky eater. I can't cook. My mom's the only one to eat anything, but she didn't eat garlic, so I can't cook shit. No garlic. <laughs> you can't eat garlic. Dang, so, vampire. Yeah, so I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm like the only person that stays home and like makes food for himself. Like I'll make a feast for myself. And be like, mm, this was an interesting experimental <laughs> beef bourguignon. I particularly liked the Dijon crusted crustini. <laughs> we Just need telling to this see. To we need to see more of that <laughs> on your Instagram, I think. Uh, some, you know, uh, we love cooking shows. But hey, but some things are for you, you know. That's true. <laughs> it's nothing, nothing like going on an adventure, not getting on the gram. You know. There you go. You don't have to project your entire existence. Hey, we would eat it up, but also either way. at uh, spoiling my dog. Pretty good at that. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, I think I'd get uh, like at least a silver medal. She's so cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's great. Okay, next, is there a fad that you participated in in your youth? That you're super embarrassed about? Puka He's shell necklaces. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, <I>, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Abercrombie. And my sister's laughing her ass off because she, she remembers my puka shell necklaces and gelled hair. So I've got what they call a triple crown, which means I look like alfalfa sometimes when I was younger, when my hair was real short, yeah. like alfalfa from Little Rascals. Uh -huh. And so I gel it so much that I would have a little bit of a like a crew mesa on top of my head, and my uh, my 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 dad would always like like scruff it up when I was leaving. I was like, Dad! <laughs> and then like quickly, then I got like contacts, and we started. I started playing football, and that's what got me out of the gel stage because the football the gel would go into your eyes, mm. so I'd always oh, yeah. come back like bloodshot. <laughs> yeah, so eyes bloodshot. I said, yeah. yeah, like I understood that. Yeah. Did you like, have the sugar ray? Blonde tips? No, but um, I did get accused of having sun in when I played the cross because my hair would stick through some of the helmet. So then I'd get like freckles of blonde. Oh, nice. oh. But it's not as bad as my mohawk that I was given. And uh, they took off an eyebrow and I had braces at the same time. Oh. Ninth grade. How do you take off an eyebrow? Well, they put gang symbols in it. So then I took it <laughs> off. <laughs> I lived in Dallas. You're not walking around with gang symbols <laughs> yeah. uh, looking like me at that age. <laughs> not the teams we're playing. Wow. It ain't the right idea. <laughs> All right, next question. Do you have a favorite musical? Yeah, Fiddler on the Roof. Nice. nice. Yeah. Can we have the rights to the Red Rising musical? <laughs> We've been writing it on the podcast a little bit. Sadly, you might have to talk with some other guys. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> Would you I'm, like to sing on the podcast? No. <laughs> 
No, I'm not a singer. My sister, <laughs> okay. my sister was a singer in the family. I the only thing I've ever sang in like choir was "Under the Sea" by Little Mermaid, in fifth grade choir. It's a great. But that song. was only because I had a crush on a girl named Bonnie Rector. Hey, you gotta oh. do it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Bonnie, if yeah. you're listening. <laughs> Bonnie Rector and Candace Saran. Yeah. <laughs> But they were both like one was the new girl, one was the popular girl. Oh, so nice. I was like torn between them. <laughs> Had to sing under the sea. Yeah. <laughs> under the sea. <laughs> there we go. We got it. We got one. Okay. What place do you typically get when you play Super Mario Kart? I suck at Super Mario. I usually go reverse direction and try to take out the first best player. <laughs> Because I'm all about underdogs, so I'm like, hey, hey silver medal, how, do you want to be gold? <laughs> yeah. Now, I suck at racing games. I'm badass at shooter games and great at fighting games and RPG and strategy I really love. But I am, in, I, can't win a, I can't win a racing game to save my life. I don't think I've ever won Cruise in the USA, Super Mario. But if you want a golden eye, slappers, golden gun, prox mines, bunker, I'll mess your shit up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared. All right, the last question is do you cry when you watch pixar movies and no do you have a favorite pixar oh i i cried when i watched up um well, because yeah. the dog when it was under the house and it said i slept part. under the house because i love you yes. and i was like oh it's so sweet and that's what dogs would say yeah. wait you didn't cry during the whole beginning montage when everyone was weeping with the old people getting no nah, because that shit's just playing your emotions that's um, manipulation it's manipulation. I have to take ask off my 3D glasses. <laughs> no, <laughs> ask me, Aaron. I cry like in Legends of the Fall when Brad Pitt comes back and his dad had had a stroke when he was gone. Yeah. And Brad Pitt, all the weight of him being gone fell on top of him and he felt the guilt. And I was like, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'll cry at that. I cry at like, I cry at the, you know, those kind of moments. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I also cried at that. And it up. And it up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So every uh, episode, we have a Primus of the Week. Sure. It's very corny as well. Okay. They conquered our proctors of plot. They've rose above the rest. Sure. And it's you this week. Uh, <laughs> do I deserve this? I don't you know. Can, like trumpet blast. Proctor or Primus? Primus. Primus. Okay, it's primus a dangerous position, but I'll take it. Yep. You can also be the arch Primus of the uh, whole series. I assumed I was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good. yeah, we just wanted to thank you. Thank Tattered Cover, Random House. This is awesome. Do you know what it's time for? What are we into this week? So we just talk about <laughs> oh, so something cute. that we're into, like a book that we're reading, a TV show, lots of Netflix, sure, music, sure, whatever. So sure. we want to know what are you into? This I'm week? into two things. I'm into the book Rubicon by Tom Holland. Okay. Uh, and fantastic, uh, I guess, treatise on what Julius Caesar's crossing of the Rubicon meant to the Roman Republic, but not only that, Western democracy in general, and how he basically ushered in the Dark Age. Incidentally, which is <laughs> uh, and then the other thing is the boys on uh, Amazon Prime, which I is pretty dope. Which I ripped, I tore through pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. I wish I saved some for when I was traveling. Yes, it's really good. Yeah. All right, I think that's it. Thanks, Howler. What, what are you guys into this week? We still got one minute left. You okay. stole mine. You stole mine. Honestly, I was going to say boys? the boys. Yeah. yeah. I've I've got one episode left, and it's a real shame they killed yeah. Carbon Urban like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can I be into the Dark Age tour? Is that too obvious? Yeah. So, Ben, why the hell didn't you say that? (laughs) (laughs) Treason comes from the front in this podcast. (laughs) I'm just buttering you up to get some of that food that I heard about. That's fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. All right. We're going to have Omnisphere Lupus. Ow! 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 (laughs) Late Hal.